Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Welcome. You guys can have a seat. I need a volunteer though, someone who's strong. Can I have a volunteer? All right. How about how about Zion? All right. And Acacia. Okay. All right. I want you to pick up this bag, Zion. Okay. How heavy is that? It's pretty heavy. Okay. Okay, Acacia, you pick up. I, I will. I will. Yeah. Here, Acacia, I want Acacia to try. Okay. How heavy is that? It's pretty heavy. All right, I'm going to have uh, Zion take it over to the cross over there. Now pick up this one, Acacia. How heavy is that? Not heavy. Not as heavy. All right, you can take it over to the cross too, okay? Thank you. Yeah, he got the hard one. <laughs> no, you're fine. How, how heavy do you think that is? How many, how many pounds? It is 50 pounds. Did anyone tell you that? No? Okay, good job. How about, how about this one? How heavy do you think that one is? Five pounds? I don't really know, but yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Have a seat. You guys, good job. Thank you for helping out. So I went, I came back from India last Saturday. Thanks for uh, praying for me and supporting our team. It was an amazing time. I had to carry a 50-pound bag on the way there. Actually, every one of us had one to two 50-pound bags plus a carry-on. We were bringing medical supplies. We did a medical mission trip uh, for two weeks and then some other like trinkets and some food. Uh, and then on the way back was a lot lighter. And um, I, I bring this up because it, it's, it's interesting. Imagine carrying one of these bags to school with you or to your sporting events or to the grocery store or work or everywhere you go. What if you carried something like this all over? How horrible would that be? It's so, I love traveling light. Well, in our spiritual walk with God, we can have baggage that we just carry around with us that we don't even realize, um, like this 50-pound weight that just hinders our walk with Jesus. Um, it could be some material stuff. It could be a habit. It could be a, a relationship. It could be a pet sin. And Jesus invites us to just toss it aside, and follow him. Uh, this is morning, we're going to read a story where Jesus invites a young man to do just that. He had a lot going for him. He had youth. He had wealth. He had a really good track record, but he was missing something. Let's dive in to see for ourselves. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. We're continuing our series in Matthew and uh, Taylor, you can come up here and, and read for us. And uh, you, if you'd stand with us in honor of God's word, if you can. Um, if you can't, that's okay. Let's uh, see Matthew chapter 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear 
false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thanks, Taylor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a light into our path, a lamp for our feet. We need you. You are our only hope. With you, all is possible. Be our rock, be our refuge, be our strength. Help us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So Matthew, the theme is we want to follow the promised king into his kingdom. Following the promised king into his kingdom. That's the theme of, of Matthew. He's, Jesus is taught with authority. He's taught teachers and Pharisees. He's taught crowds and disciples. And here he's teaching a young man, a wealthy young man, as well as the disciples. He's headed to Jerusalem. It's Passover time. He's headed there to die. Before he gets there, he's got a few more things to say. Disciples are tagging along. The rich young man leaves and the disciples pick up where he has off and just keeps on asking, they keep on asking questions. The, the scripture centers around one key question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? This question snowballs and points us to what God ultimately wants. The path to heaven is one of leaving behind everything and following Jesus. But that is only possible with God. So if you're taking notes, this is the, the, the big idea. I see this passage. I'd love to have seven words. You know, we talk as pastors, let's get seven words I couldn't break it down into seven words, but the, the path to heaven is one of leaving behind everything and following Jesus. That's only possible with God. We need God's help. If you have your Bibles, we'll, we'll walk through this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and we'll just walk verse by verse. 
And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I think about that question. What good deed must I have to do to have eternal life? Wouldn't that be a great question? I mean, for those people who are Christ followers, spiritual conversations come kind of awkwardly. It can be hard to have a conversation about something that people can be really in conflict about or might offend people. And here you have someone who wants to say, hey, how do I have eternal life? It's just a beautiful question. And I love it that he goes to Jesus. I guess in the other, past, the other books about Jesus, like Mark and, and Luke, he's falling down at Jesus' feet. He really wants to know. I love it if someone came to me. You think Jesus might say, you know, that's a great question. Way to go. Um, you know, really, you don't have to do anything. I'm going to do it all. It's your lucky day. It's not what he says. He actually, how Jesus responds is quite shocking. It might shock our evangelical sensibilities. He critiques the question. He actually critiques the question and offers a different way than one we might think. Sometimes I think the way Jesus goes about something is intentional and it's not how we would necessarily go about it because he knows what's really going to help work into someone's heart and life and really challenge them, and they won't just write it off, okay? Look at verse 17 and see how he responds, because it's not how I would respond. He says, why do you ask me what about what is good? There's only one who is good. Who's that? God. In other synoptic passages, it says, you know, they call, he calls him good teacher. He's like, there's only one who's good, God. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Jesus' response has two parts, right? So the first part, he's critiquing the question. He's calling good into question. This young man has a, a category of good that is deficient in a way. All good is relative to, is, is a measure to something else and beauty and truth. There, there is this ultimate reality. And he's, Jesus is pinpointing it on God. God is the ultimate good. And then he goes on to say, if you want to have eternal life, how do you get it? It's not what we would think, right? Keep the commandments. What? Sounds a little heretical, but Jesus embodies the truth. He's perfect in every way. He's, he's accurate. He's right. But this man, I think he says it this way to get again at this guy's heart. So he asks a follow-up question. What's the follow-up question? Look at verse 18. Which ones? He accepts Jesus' proposition to get to heaven. I need to keep the commandments. But he understands back then, if you take the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, I want to say is the last book, there are some 600 commandments. He understands there's a lot of commandments. So which ones are the ones I need to follow to have eternal life? How does Jesus answer? Does he correct the theology out? No, he doesn't. Look at verse 19. He goes to the Ten Commandments and then a passage in Leviticus. The Ten Commandments, he actually goes to the second part of the Ten Commandments, which deals with loving your neighbor. He says this, you shall not murder. So these are things you shouldn't do. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So think about those commands. 
Now, if I heard those, if you transport yourself back in time, 2,000 years ago, and you're asking Jesus, I want to know how to get to heaven, and you hear, you shall not murder, I would say for most of us, we're like, all right, (laughs) I'm okay there. You want to get to heaven? Don't murder. Okay. You shall not commit adultery. I'm okay there. Check, check. Don't steal. So I stole when I was six years old. Does that count, Jesus? I hope not. All right, I'm going to say it doesn't count. I'm okay. You shall not bear false witness. Now, when I think about false witness, I don't think, I mean, we think we say lying, but false witness is kind of like in a court of law, and I've never been in a court of law, so I, I can say kind of really never born false witness. Check. I'm okay. Honor your father and mother. I think I'm doing pretty well. I don't think they would say I'm a disgrace. I'm an embarrassment. Now, mom, if you're watching, just try to be quiet on social media. You can tell me privately. Um, And then you get to the last one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of an overarching command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I kind of think I'm a pretty loving person. I'm a nice guy. And I I, I think that probably most people would say the same about themselves. Maybe even this man. People tend to assess themselves as basically good. They weigh themselves on the other person or maybe the extreme. I know I've never killed anybody. I've heard that before. Um, My good outweighs my bad. But that's not the measure that Jesus is using. Even though he sends these out here as a list for him to adhere to, to enter heaven, there's something still lacking in him. There's something that bothers him about Jesus's response. Now, if we've followed Matthew and you were in chapter 5, 6, 7, He talks about the kingdom of heaven and our righteousness, our rightness before God has to be better than the religious people. What? That's kind of crazy. And he goes into that command about murder. You remember this? He says, if you've been angry with your brother and call him a name, you're guilty of murder. He says, if, if, you know, maybe you haven't committed adultery, but if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, "If if you want to be honest... Don't make any promises. Just say yes or no. And all of a sudden, as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, we all are guilty. No one is righteous. We hunger and thirst for for rightness. I I don't think this guy had a a Sermon on the Mount experience, but maybe he did. He certainly heard Jesus' commands and felt like something's missing. There's a nagging suspicion that his life doesn't add up. And why do I say that? Look at verse 20. It's kind of a mix, okay? So verse 20, he, the young man says to him, all these I've kept. Okay, so he, he's like, okay, I met all those, those demands, kind of like we said earlier. What do I still lack? Why does he say, what do I still lack? Because I think internally, he's struggling with some kind of guilt and shame. There's some kind of uneasiness with the thought of standing before the creator of the world and kind of giving an account for, okay, did I make it in or not? He doesn't have assurance. And so he's looking for some kind of clarity from Jesus. What, do I, what am I missing? And maybe you can relate. How does Jesus respond? He doesn't go back to the Old Testament and pull out another law that's not there. He actually gives an assignment, a homework assignment for him. Here's what you need to do. He says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, 
I've done, I've kept all these since my birth. Go, sell your, what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. If you want to be perfect, sell it all. And think about that. Think if Jesus were to ask you to sell and liquidate everything you own and give it all away and join the ministry somewhere, become a monk or a nun. Um, this, is a, this is a command he's making, and I, I don't think he's making this. I want to say this to everyone. And I say that because there are rich people who follow Jesus. He has no problem with wealth. What he has, he's trying to do is get at this man's heart. And another, an example of this is Nicodemus. He's also a religious leader. He comes in the middle of the night in John chapter 3 to Jesus, and he says, we, we hear you're a, a good teacher. Um, how do I have eternal life? How do we live forever? How do we have, have salvation? You know, he asks this question. And what does Jesus respond? He says, you need to be born again. And he's like, I can't crawl back into my mother's womb. What are you talking about? You need to be born again, born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to bring new birth. And how does that come about? It comes by faith. He offers him a different path. So why does he say this to this man? Why does he say you need to liquidate your assets? Give to those less impoverished. Generosity is not the path to eternity. Why does he say this to this man? It's because he lacked something. He still lacked something. Even though he thinks he met all those commandments, he missed it. He wasn't as squeaky clean as he thought. He loved himself more than his neighbor. He loved his wealth more and, his, and what that afforded more than obe- obedience to Jesus. And so when it comes to Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself, he loved himself, but couldn't love his neighbor if what it meant was following Jesus. And if he couldn't follow Jesus... He wasn't loving Jesus. And if he wasn't loving Jesus, he wasn't loving God. We demonstrate what we believe by what we do. We demonstrate what we love by our actions. Jesus was inviting this man to see himself from a new perspective, from his deficiency instead of his sufficiency. And he invites him not only to take on this homework assignment, but to join the 12 and follow him. The path to heaven was leaving behind everything. Would he do it? Well, that's, that's a question we see answered here in the next few verses. Look at verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away. He didn't move towards Jesus. He moved away from Jesus, sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. He didn't take up Jesus on the proposition. Now, we don't know what the end of his story is. And I think that's intentional so that we, as a reader, can start inserting ourselves in the story and ask, what would we do if we were asked to do what he did or was to do? Paul, the apostle, did this. Paul was a man in a man's world where women were property. He was a Roman citizen where one 
10, 10% to 20% of the world were slaves and the rest were second-class citizens. He was studied under the prominent teacher Gamaliel, which was like an Ivy League school of sorts. He was the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew Hebrew. So he had a, a religious pedigree that gave him an edge towards the common man. He was a Pharisee on top of that, so a moral track record that's quite like this young man who could have been a Pharisee himself. He was a person of privilege. And what did he think about his, all these identity markers that gave him access and opportunity? He wrote about them in the Philippian church, chapter 3. And Mike might have brought it up in Sunday school. I'm not sure. No, he didn't. Okay. Um, we did talk about this in our pastor's meeting on Monday. Look at chapter 3, 7 through 9. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That word rubbish is, for, is another word for dung. It's just, it's worthless compared to knowing Jesus. You compare the two, knowing Jesus, following Jesus is way better than knowing material wealth and following material wealth and wherever that takes me. But this rich man was not Paul. He goes home and Jesus goes on. Look at verse 23 in your Bible. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. A camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, a side note. I've heard this taught that the eye of a needle is a gate in Jerusalem that was, came out of the 11th century. We don't have any historical basis beyond that, so that's a nice story, but um, a fi- Jesus is using a figure of speech here. What's he getting at? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into heaven. He's making a really big statement. It is hard to get to heaven. Really hard to get to heaven. How do you get to heaven? The disciples are shocked. They are shocked. A rich person, they have all their needs. Why is, this, why is it so hard? They have all their needs met. They live in life of comfort and security. They have position and privilege. They, they don't have wants. They have options. The poor, on the other hand, are needy and hungry and dependent and humble, kind of like the passage Joe talked about last week. They're like children. But the disciples, they're they're missing this. So we we back up. What? What do they do? What they say in verse 25? When the disciples heard this, they're greatly, what's the word? Astonished, shocked. Who can be saved? Why do they say that? Well, I don't think it's because they're wealthy. Matthew could have had wealth because he's a tax collector, but these are fishermen. These are not the privileged, the powerful. These are normal people, young men following Jesus. They gave up three years of their life, taking handouts, being rich. Uh, I think they understood this as rich is blessed. Think about the Old Testament where God blesses his people to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. You'll be a, a nation, and, and the nations will call you blessed. And so they're seeing this as a blessing. 
And if the blessed, the rich, can't get to heaven, how are we who don't have as much going to get to heaven? And then Jesus says, I think this, this crowning verse that highlights something we haven't seen in Matthew that I love in verse 26. Look at verse 26. He says this, look at, he looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the way to heaven is to be perfect, but no one's perfect. It's impossible, but one is perfect. Jesus, he was born a man. He lived a perfect life, but he died the sinner's death so that we who believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. We can have forgiveness. We can have freedom from the bondage of sin, the shackles of shame and guilt. We can live forever with him. He conquered sin and death in rising from the dead 2,000 years ago. So what stops? What stops this young man from following Jesus? Why didn't he follow him? The cost looks too high. The bar looks too hard to to meet. The the burden is is too heavy to, to give up. What hinders us from following Jesus to wherever he leads? And I don't think, again, I don't think he's asking you to liquidate everything. If you own a business, to fire everybody today and and sell it all and give it to the poor. Being generous and giving the poor is great. And maybe he calls you to do that. But but what, what is he calling us to do? I think we have an opportunity as we move in to the new year and we move out of the old year to consider What has hindered us from following Jesus in 2023? What's one thing that has held us back? It's weighed us down. Is it a sin that we just keep struggling with? Is it a toxic relationship or a habit? And then a little pastime that really hasn't helped us. It's held us back. What do we carry around with us that we need to let go of and, and just really focus our attention in 2024 and following Jesus? Is, it, is there one thing that you can think of or a couple things that you could think of? The path to heaven is one of leaving behind everything. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let's, let's run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder of, and perfecter of our faith. So Dave Dew and John Hoekstra, do you have those pieces of paper? I'm going to have them hand out pieces of paper. Um, they are uh, dissolvable. So we can write on them and put them in water and it will disappear. I was thinking about using flash paper, which magicians use and it burns up, but I wasn't sure about fire safety and um, so we're going to hand these out. They're really thin. They're not edible. So if you like to eat paper, do not eat them, little people. Um, they could be toxic. I do not know. Um, 
Let's take a moment to quietly think about what might God ask us to give to him, to leave behind, to let go of, to release in 2024. Could be a burden. I'm going to have the worship team play here in a minute and, um, and uh, kind of play a song while we're going to have this thing of water. So what I thought is, is having a chair up here. Um, and we'll have this thing of water, and, and we'll just come up as the Lord leads, and we'll, we'll put it in there. And if you don't want to, that's okay. That's fine. Um, some of you may have already given up something to the Lord. You know, I was thinking about this. For me, like, it could be my agenda. You know, I've got a plan. Am I willing to follow the Spirit and let go of my plan? I thought it could be pride, you know, like I think I want it to be the person. I want, to be, I want things to go through me, and like I, maybe I need to give that up. Or fear. I had some fears coming at me this morning. I was like, ah, this isn't working out the way I want it. Uh, I'm afraid. But I, I think this would, be, this would be something not like a, a, a short-term thing, but maybe something that, that's a little bigger over the last year that's been a bur- burden. Um a barrier, uh, something that might be, it's pretty significant. So some of you have already, you feel like you're following hard after him, awesome. So Jesus asks, challenges this young man in two ways, right? He asks them to sell everything and give to the poor, and then what else? Follow, yeah, come and follow me. So what does it look like? This is not something you're going to write on this piece of paper, but maybe on your phone you, you put it, make a note. We don't have bulletins, but if, if you write this down, What's one way you can follow Jesus in 2024? Is there a spiritual practice that you can move towards? What does it look like to follow Jesus in 2024? So for, for me, I'm, you know, I tried to journal this last year, and I really didn't look at my journal until like December 30th, right? Or December, like late in December, um, I want to really work through reflecting on what what am I journaling? Because I think that can help me in my walk with the Lord. So what does it look like to to grow in your walk with the Lord, to follow the Lord this year? Maybe it's Bible reading or a prayer or it's maybe it's a a spiritual friendship or fasting or retreat. What does it look like to follow the Lord in 2024? Write that down. I would challenge you to write that down. Keep it in your Bible. Keep it in your journal. Keep it somewhere in front of you so that it's not something like, okay, here's, here's a, something I did and then I forgot. The path to heaven is one of leaving behind everything and following Jesus. But it's only possible with God. The last question in this section, look at verse 27. Peter said in reply, see, we've left everything and followed you. So he did it. What then will we have? Jesus responds. He says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Peter got this. He, he understood what it meant to follow Jesus. He followed after Jesus. He left his net. 
in chapter 4. He left his father in chapter 4. He left his land, and he's following Jesus, and he will follow him to the death. And he kind of wants to know, I think here, he sees this eternal life. What else? What reward will I get? What then will we have, he asks. And I can see Jesus being encouraging and a little corrective. You, you will have eternal life. You will have a hundredfold, which is incredible. The disciples, those who follow him, will have these thrones. And it doesn't mean Judas, because Judas, he walks away. So, I, so I'm not sure exactly what that is. Maybe there's a kind of a token. You will have a reward. But there's this leveling of the reward a hundredfold. The return on investment, the ROI of following Jesus is incredible. Who is wiser, the rich man or Peter? You know, if you have the, the best 401k portfolio and you're up 20%, you're still not a hundredfold. A hundred percent, you're still not at a hundredfold. This is incredible what Jesus offers, and we would be fools to not take him up on his proposition to follow hard after him, to throw off everything that hinders, to run the race that's set before us, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to follow after him. So Devin, I'm going to have you and the team come up. I'm going to ask four, I'm going to talk to four different situations here. Again, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus in 2024? It's not just about checking a box. What does it look like? What's a spiritual practice or direction the Lord might call us into individually to think about that? Secondly, some of you are following him. You've left everything. You're, you're, and you need encouragement. Hear this passage as a word of encouragement. In the other passages that highlight this, Mark and Luke, it says, the Lord looked at this man, this young man, and he loved him. He doesn't raise this bar so that, you know, he just feels condemned and walks away sorrowful. It's an invitation, and he's, he's inviting us. He loves us. He sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. He is offering you eternal life and eternal rewards that far exceed whatever kind of earthly, worldly position and power and possessions we can come up with. Persevere. Trust in him. Some of you have, may have guilt and shame and burdens that just weigh you down. It's hard to go further. Lean into Jesus. Run to Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, rest in his burden. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. Remember when he says that? He is gentle and lowly and offers his life for ours. And uh, Dave uh, Dew will be up front here. We'd love to pray with you. He's, one of, he's been one of our elders. And uh, you don't have to leave here not prayed for. Maybe it's a burden of, about health, a burden about finances. Maybe it's a burden about someone else. You're just like, I don't want to, I can't carry this alone. Could you pray? Could you pray with me? So after the service, Dave Dew will be up front, and he'd love to pray with you. As we conclude, um, John, you want to bring this thing of water? And um, 
I'm going to need a, a stirring, that's a, something to stir it with. What I'm going to do is we're going to have the worship team play. I'm going to have you come up. Oh, wait, I do have something to stir it with. Okay. And we'll just take that piece of paper, that, that burden, that thing we need to leave behind so that we can follow after him unhindered. We'll just put it in, in the water and it will just melt away. Now, maybe you're like, I, I'm, I need more time. That's okay. Take time. You can do this another day. Pray for us. Pray for those who, of us who are, who are trying to give off, give away, give up something. We, we need God's help. Um, and then after the, you know, the worship kind of set is, or that song is kind of overall just close us in prayer. And then we'll continue in worship. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take our burdens, take our sin, take our habits and things that weigh us down and hinder us from following hard after you. Do the impossible and make it possible for us to follow you by the power of your spirit at work in us, that you would get great glory in your church, that people would know we're Christians by our love. We lift this up to you and thank you for your love for this young man, your love for your disciples, and your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.